Hello and welcome. You are listening to a new episode of Doctrine and Doxology. I am Skylar Spradlin here always and evermore with the Larry Jones. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. What a stupendous introduction. Great intro. Yeah. Um, welcome back. We're continuing to go through the doctrine of God, specifically the communicable attributes. Yes, we are. Uh, last week we covered a few of them, including righteousness. Yeah, that was one of the big ones, wasn't it? It was a big one. And today we have some others in store. Yes, we do. But before we get there... Uh-oh, you have a public service announcement? Uh, yeah, surprise. Ready? Okay. We have six participants of the cohort. Yay. Which is awesome. Yay. Yeah, these uh, gentlemen are, some are in ministry. Some have been in ministry a long time. Others are hoping to be in ministry. Uh, and they're from all over the place, Oklahoma, Texas, as far as North Carolina. Wow. Yeah, so um, be praying that the Lord would bless this and encourage these men as they uh, read good books and write reflection papers and meet together, uh, some in person, some online, hear um, some instruction and teaching and, and overall encouragement and fellowship. I hope by the end of all of this, they look back and say that was a really fruitful and rewarding time. Right, right. And always remembering that this was funded by the people who listened to us. Yes. And That's amazing. Thank you very much. Not to be one of those guys, but... We do always need more funding. We still have to ship books. We have to arrange certain um, organization-type things. Uh, it takes a lot, actually, to keep a ministry going. So you don't want to be one of those guys. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, beg for money. Yeah, nor I. In fact, I've never done that until this. And the reason I do it now is because I actually really believe in this. Well, I believe it's going to further the kingdom of God. Yeah. That's the whole goal. Right. Healthy churches by investing in their pastors. Right. We invest in the pastors who then in turn go and invest and equip the churches so that hopefully there's a long-term health built into the life of a church. There you go. That's the goal. And so that's why I believe in it. I think it's uh, awesome, and God has just brought all the pieces together. And so uh, this is the one thing in life so far that I haven't, um, been ashamed to ask for donations yeah. for because you and I don't take any of that money. We don't get any of that money. Every penny of it goes directly to this ministry. That's right. Supporting this ministry in some form or fashion. What's the name of this ministry? Not me and you, but the 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 pastors coalition cohort cohort. Yeah, pastor cohort. That ministry. Yeah. Which yeah. is a bit misleading because it's more than just pastors, but you get the idea. Yeah, I get the idea. If so, I can get it, they get it for sure. That's true. I am excited to report that things will be kicking off for those gentlemen in a few short weeks. We will start mailing out books, books very soon. Books will start going out to them, yes. They already have their acceptance emails with further instructions, preparation kind of information. Well, good. Yes. Anywho's back to where we are now, the doctrine of God. 
Yes, the ones that he shares with us. Correct. The so, communicable attributes that he shares with us. Not to the extent that he has them, of course. Right. We only get a taste or a measure. Right. So that we can understand via experience. Right. Um, and, and intellectual comprehension, maybe a little deeper uh, comprehension. But there are also incommunicable attributes, and those are the things that God does not share with us. Yeah, some of those I don't want. Yeah, some of those I don't want you to have. There you go. All-powerful. Yeah, I could point at you and zappo. Ever-present. Don't ever make me angry. Omnipresent, every, everywhere, uh, at the same time. I don't want to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't want you to be everywhere. I don't want to be everywhere. So God does not share some of those divine attributes that distinguish him out as God. Right. Doesn't share those with us. But then there's a whole host of these other ones that we've been walking through for several weeks now. Yes. Where he does share these attributes you with us. You want me to list a few? If you'd like. Some of these things are what make us creatures made in the image of God. The fact that we get to share in these things sets us apart from the rest of creation because yeah. we identify with God in them. Yeah. Okay, here's... Uh, well, I'm just going to list them, and you will know that some of them don't belong to us or we don't share them, and some of them he does share. So, so you're mixing... I'm just rolling down the list. Spirituality, invisibility, knowledge, or omnipotence, wisdom, truthfulness, faithfulness, goodness, love, mercy, holiness, peace, righteousness, jealousy, and wrath. The last two we have not yet done. Jealousy and wrath. So that's where we're coming to today. Jealousy first. Jealousy. God is a jealous God. He certainly is. It's one of the few statements where we find God described so simplistically in the Bible. God is blank. Yep. He's a jealous God. I think there's like four. You have the reference? I have uh, multiple references. Jealousy, 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 jealousy. No reference there. Reference in the book. I'm thinking of like probably Exodus 34:14, where God is telling the Israelites, "Do not go in and worship any other image, because God is a jealous God." And then Deuteronomy 4:24 and 5:9. Those are cool references because I I know they're there for a reason. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Consuming. A jealous God. Yeah. Deuteronomy 4.24. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Deuteronomy 5.9. So that's that's jealousy and in a righteous others. way. Right. It's kind of looked on today as a negative. Right. In today's so, society. Like well, if a husband is jealous of his wife, uh, that may be a good thing, and it can go to the bad. Right. So what does it mean, first, that God is jealous? Well, God, I'm glad you asked that. Yep, 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 me too. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, God's mm-hmm. jealousy means that God continually seeks to protect his own honor, according to Grudem. Yeah. Yes. He, said, he says, jealousy, this is just like an uh, earnestly protective or watchful. It has a meaning of being deeply committed to seeking the honor or welfare of someone, whether oneself or someone else. Scripture represents God as being jealous in this way. He continually and earnestly seeks to protect his own honor. He commands his people not to bow down to idols or serve them, saying, For I, the Lord, am your God, am a jealous God. Yes, so I, I will say that the Lord is uh, fiercely defensive of his honor and his glory. Yeah. And so he demands that we give only allegiance to him. Yes. So... What makes that a righteous jealousy is the fact that God is worthy of that. So you and I can't make that same claim. Absolutely not. Because we're ultimately not worthy of it like he is. He can make that claim and still be perfectly right in making that claim because he legitimately is worthy of all total allegiance. Okay, so jealousy would be God seeking or seeing his children push him aside to serve another or another idol or object as God. That would stir God to jealousy. And Jesus seeing his bride seeking another's affection. Mm. Hmm. I don't have a reference for that, but it kind of goes along. Jesus is God. We are his bride. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think oftentimes we think of jealousy as pettiness, where we're just clamoring for more attention. And I think some people would, you know, if they're wanting to yeah. push back against God, would say the same thing. God being jealous is just his pettiness seeking attention. But again, we have to come back to a proper understanding of God. Yeah. And something as worthy and glorious as God demands such allegiance and attention. So God's not being petty when he's jealous. Correct. He's, he's actually being correct. And by extension... He's calling us to the best possible course of action. Right. It's always for our good. Yeah. His jealousy isn't against us. His jealousy is to our benefit. Correct. Don't go after these idols. They're, they have eyes but can't see and ears but can't hear and throats but they can't speak. Right. Come to the living God. Yeah. You take a stick of wood and you form an image out of it and you bow down and worship it. Then you take that same stick of wood that you didn't use and... Scrape the gum off your shoe. Make a fuel for your fire to keep you warm, and and you also cook your food on it. True. They don't compare. So in what way do we share jealousy with God? Because we we know we share it incorrectly in one sense. Yeah. I don't mean share it. I I guess we experience jealousy, but we, we do it sinfully. Not always, but sometimes. Right, that, but that's normally how we think about it. We think of jealousy as a Christian, as a sinful action. And sure. it's even described in the Scriptures as a sinful action. Well, you could be jealous of your spouse, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. Because you want the best for your spouse and your relationship with each other. Okay. Because you're jealous for that relationship to be strong and, and everything. But then you can be over over jealous and 
go around and beat up half the people because they glanced your way because you're so jealous. And yeah. that's kind of when it can be bad. Yeah. What about being jealous for other things? I'm, I'm sitting here thinking it would be a righteous act to be jealous on behalf of the church. Okay. Not for the church to have attention on you, but for others to have attention on the church or the scriptures or... In other words, I'm 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 uh, I'm defending the honor of the church. I want you, I want you to turn your attention here. I'm being jealous on behalf okay. of the church. So don't don't be reading this garbage stuff. Read the Bible. Yeah. Don't don't, don't go on vacation or or go to the lake on the weekends. Go to church. Never. Never. Or rarely. Rarely. Because I'm I'm going on the, to the lake, man. I'm going on a vacation. When? In September. Oh, yeah. I should tell you. Yeah. No, I don't mean ever. I just mean... But your well, normal habit... Yeah, we're getting off there. Yeah. I just mean, like, I wonder how much we could call it jealousy when we are rightly defending other things, not ourselves. We want attention and devotion onto other good things and not ourselves. Right. Well, we want attention and devotion to go to God. Right. Can we be jealous on behalf of God? I, maybe. I don't know what that word's called. Because I long for people, especially people that I know and love as my friends or family, yeah. to really go to Christ, love Him with all your heart, yeah. seek God at every opportunity. And if I see them idling their time away, say, well, I think I'll go to the lake and get my, I'm going to go buy a boat and and all to me, all that does is all not all it does, but sometimes it can just take you completely away from God and the church. Right. Because, oh, I'm going to worship God on the water. Yeah, there's tons of excuses <laughs> out there for sure. So I, we share this attribute with God. Oftentimes we practice jealousy sinfully. Yes, we do. When we're greedy for attention, greedy yeah. for... Uh, influence or whatever else, we elevate ourselves more Higher highly than we, than we ought to be. Yeah. yeah, But then there are times when we exercise the jealousy that God permits us to exercise, and we do it appropriately. Right. And those are in moments of righteousness. So maybe for a spouse, maybe for a child, maybe I think even for the church or something like that. Right. Where we are trying to not just... Um, uh, trying to guard. Yeah, it almost sounds a little bit like righteous anger. Yeah. You know, most of my anger is not righteous, but but uh, it bothered Jesus that uh, people were using God's house inappropriately. Right. And it should bother us if people use, and this is not really God's house, but it's it's kind of where we come to worship. Yeah. And if people are coming here using it inappropriately. Yeah, I'm, I think of like Peter, for instance. He did a lot of things out of impulse. Yep. But he had a good exa exemplified zeal for God and the things right. for God. And uh, we could probably use more of that. Yes. So jealousy seems to be this um, passion within us for that which is right and good, ultimately in devotion to God. Right, right. Not 
not for self or self gain. Yeah, that I think that's where you start going south, and it it becomes bad. Yeah, absolutely. What's our next one? Wrath. Our, our next one is wrath. That's wrath. a really good one. You know, I'd be interested to take a survey or just hear the average thoughts of the average Christians concerning wrath. Yeah. Just go out, and you know that you're only going to survey Christians, and you just kind of survey the Christians in the street on any given day and say, what does the Bible say about wrath, specifically God's wrath? I think we, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I suspect we would be, I don't know, sorrowfully shocked at the lack of understanding. Okay. Because people in our time, our context, don't like to think about God as wrathful. Right. As possessing any sort of wrath. Right. And we know he's exper- He's showed that to us before. Yeah. We see it in the, in the flood, in the Noah story. We see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. God exercised his wrath against sin. Yeah. We see it even against the Israel as they kept turning away from God and turning away from God. And yeah. he kept warning them, warning them, I'm sending in a nation. They're going to come in and take you away. Yeah. Repent. And they didn't, and he did. And we ultimately see it poured out on his son. Absolutely. That, to me, it, that's a big one for us. Well, yeah. If God didn't exercise his wrath on Jesus, we wouldn't be saved. That's right. And we would experience God's wrath at the end time. Correct. I think so, that's the big one. So let's define God's wrath. Okay. We were talking before we hit record. It is a feeling. It is an emotion. But you were saying that with God, it goes beyond just feeling. Yes. Into yeah. action. Uh, Mr. Grudem explained it as God's wrath that he intensely hates all sin, which we know he does. That's And true. we should also have that same feeling towards sin. We hate all sin. But to me, wrath seems more like an action word, more so than a feeling. Okay. So it's like he, he showed his wrath. On in the flood story, and he showed his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. He showed his wrath, you know, when Jesus died on the cross. I, I don't think Jesus was asking God to take away this from me. Talking about death, or talking about the physical punishment of humans. Right. I think he's talking about the wrath of God. Yeah. You know, if there's another way, please take it away, because he didn't want to experience God's wrath. Yeah. I agree. So I think of Romans 1, naturally, that the wrath of God is poured out from heaven against all manner of unrighteousness and ungodliness. Yeah. Um, Talking there about people, I kind of paraphrased poorly there. Um, But, yeah, I I see what you're saying. I agree with you, I think, here, that it is this feeling and emotion, maybe where it originates. But when we're talking about the wrath of God, he actually has the authority to act on that feeling. Correct. to, To... exercise judgment through the action or pouring out of his wrath. Right. So we Punishment, know, kind of. Yes. We kind of get an idea there that God feels wrath, God has wrath, that wrath is kind of like, um, I don't know, action-oriented rage. Yeah. Hatred is how Grudem says that's a great word, I think, hatred. Why, though? 
is God permitted to have wrath? Well, glad you asked that question. Because just thinking from our perspective. Oh, I'm not good. I don't get the answer. Oh, yeah. I just want to set it up. Oh, go ahead. From our perspective, like if my children are acting wrathful, they're going to get in trouble for that. Yes. And in the general course to course of daily living, wrath isn't heralded as a good thing. No, it's not like you punish your children out of wrath. Right. Also out of discipline. Right. Out of love. So why then is it okay for God to be wrathful? Not what is his wrath, but why does he get to be wrathful? Why is he wrathful? There's a scripture in Hebrews saying how terrible it would have would it be to fall into the hands of uh, the living God, the living God. And especially, uh, I don't know the exact reference, but I know it's still in Hebrews, uh, when they trampled the blood of Christ underfoot. Yeah. Uh, that's his so- solution for sin. And if you take that and trample that underfoot, then you can expect to experience the wrath of God. Right. He provided so much. How can you? And he is long suffering. You yeah. can see it in the in the story of Israel. He he put up with it. He put up with it for. You can say put up with it twenty times, maybe thirty, and then okay, here they come. You know, yeah. The invading armies. I think um, when I think about God's wrath and in why it's actually a righteous act for God to have wrath. I think about his holiness, and I think about his justice. Uh, his justice doesn't permit sin to be ignored or neglected. Yep. And yep. his justice is a holy justice. It's a perfect justice, a pure justice. And so sin must be dealt with. Sin must be punished and condemned. The, the guilty will by no means go unpunished. Correct. And so what's the most appropriate punishment for sin? It would be the unfettered wrath and hatred and rage of God. Yeah, against, against your sin. Against that sin. Yeah. So, uh, John three thirty six, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Yeah. But that's not the rest of the. That's not the whole scripture. And I lost my place. Oh, there it is. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests on him. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Of course, Isaiah 53 is a great picture of the wrath of God being poured out upon his son on our behalf. Right. Uh, he was pierced for our transgressions. By his stripes, we were healed. Yeah. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right. To me, that's just a, a beautiful picture and one that drives me to uh, to being thankful, being grateful that God allowed that to happen so and it amazes me that it was his plan from the before creation yeah so god's wrath i would say is the manifestation of his justice towards yes. sin yes as he deals with punishes condemns the guilty now i don't uh, i also want to add here he's not just abstractly punishing sin as a concept or principle over here off the side he's punishing sinners who commit the sin yes so this this wrath of god actually becomes personal 
intensely personal. Romans 3, 25 and 26. It's a good one. It says, uh, let me back up 24. Let me back up to 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be the just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Christ or in Jesus. Amen, absolutely. So, so he has wrath for sin, yes, but he's he provided a way of escape from that wrath by putting our sin on his son. Absolutely. And counting his son as guilty for our sin and punishing his guilty son. Right. And in doing so, that absolves us or pardons us of our guilt, and we are actually given then the righteousness of Christ. Absolutely. Isn't that great? It's beautiful. Beautiful. So God is wrathful. God is actually righteous in his wrath. Yes. How then do we share God's wrath as a communicable attribute? Well, we can't go beat up sinners. So, yeah, and I think that's an important distinction. Unlike God... We really don't have the right to act on our wrath. That's right. And so we the, should hate sin. Correct. So it, it may be a bit more of a uh, attitude or feeling or disposition for us, and, and probably very rarely is it ever an action for us. Yes, I can't think of a time. Yeah, I, I can't either, but I, I just don't want to, I guess, be dogmatic but yeah this this is the way it is and this is the way it is yeah because there may be a, a maybe an instance out there i'm just not thinking of right now yeah but i think that exactly what you're saying is right that we have as grudem described it an intense hatred for sin or we yeah. should and that should only increase in us as christians i think we see that even in unbelievers now they they don't necessarily know sin Yes. But because of their conscience and morality in the world, God has given them some sense of right and wrong. They have yes. the law of God written on their hearts. Yes, they do. And the world gets in such turmoil over what they perceive as injustice. That's right. And so there's a, there's a measured degree there that all humanity feels wrath for what is wrong. Correct. Christians just know what that is. They know that it's sin and we wickedness know it's sin, and evil. And we have a name for it. Yeah. It's called sin. And we have a concrete definition of it, whatever is against or opposed yeah. to or disobedient to God. And so all humanity experiences this communicable attribute, but Christians, just like with all the rest, have an enhanced understanding, and I would say an increasing understanding. The more we're made like Christ... Right. The more we are able to recognize sin and the more of a disdain and hatred we have for it. Correct. Especially in ourselves. Oh, uh, chiefly. If chiefly, it's, yes. If it's not in ourselves first, then you have a really warped idea going on in your mind. Yeah, it's wrong for you to do it, but not me. Right. No, the, our, our hatred for sin is first self-directed. Right. It's first internalized. And only then... Um, and we do beat ourselves Outside. up emotionally sometimes because we have sinned against God and we feel so much woe yeah, because of that. Yeah, regret and guilt and shame. 
But that's also not to say there aren't uh, societal issues that should enrage us. Yeah, uh, they are. Abortion yes. is one. Uh, and there are others. Um, we just see general wickedness of humanity. Sex trafficking is yes. another one that should stir up in all people, but specifically and especially God's people. Yes. A feeling of wrath and rage Degra- and hatred. Degradation of the family as yep. husband and wife. Yeah. We see that. And that should... It should concern us greatly. Right. Many of these other sins stem from that. Absolutely. So we can see here how we would share in wrath with God to a degree. But not in a physical way. Right. Not so much. I don't, like you said, I, I can't think of a time when it's appropriate. Also, unlike God, we aren't to feel wrath all the time. So God, by nature of his being, feels all of his attributes and is all of his attributes and exercises all of his attributes all simultaneously. So in some profound, mysterious way, God is simultaneously merciful and wrathful. Yes. We're not. We're not made that way. We can't even do that. And so when we say that we can share in the attribute of, of God's wrath... That isn't to say that we're to be defined as wrathful people. Correct. But it is to say when occasion permits, when that moment comes, we ought to respond like God does towards sin. Yeah. And towards injustice and things of that nature. Sometimes society opens a door or an avenue, or as you're going through life, you have the opportunity to let someone know that this is some something that God does not allow. It's a sin against God. Yeah. And it, we have that opportunity to share that. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to say a quick word about uh, how these two things form our thinking about God. Uh, we don't always do this, and I like to do it. But how does it increase our adoration of God? How does it, how does it increase our worship of God? And I think w- with jealousy... Like we said, God is devoted to his honor. Yes. But built into that is God knows that honoring him is the best thing for us. Yes, absolutely. And so we can be grateful, even worshipful, about the jealousy of God because we know that a jealous God is acting to protect us. Yes. And he is driving us to what is best, namely himself. Right, driving us to purity. Yes, and the wrath of God is also something that we can adore Him for and worship Him for because it exposes the grotesque nature of sin. Right. And oftentimes it keeps us from sin. Yes. Especially as we mature in Christ because we don't want the displeasure of God. And once we see what kind of wrath God pours out upon sin, it helps us to then in turn hate sin even more. Yeah, especially when we see it poured out upon His own Son. Right. Because of our sin. But also with that, just one last thing. We can worship God because of his wrath and adore him because of his wrath because we can be confident we have a God who loves what is good and hates what is evil. Yeah. And that directly affects how we relate to him. He's not going to be evil to us. He's only in the, on the, in the corner of good. Yeah. And his, his wrath only rises up against that which is not good. And so his wrath reminds us that he's a good God. Very well.
Very well said. Very well. Very well, then. Well, I hope these attributes help us think through not only the nature of God, um, but also how we're supposed to imitate and reflect Him as creatures made in His image, and especially as Christians, redeemed uh, creatures made in His image. Right. So these are all very introductory discussions about these matters. There's always so much more that could be looked at. But hopefully this sparks some thinking. Yeah, and all these attributes flow into each other. Absolutely. You know, they're all happening at the same time. We see God and you see him in all these attributes. You see him in love. You see him in righteousness. You see him in wrath. You yeah. see him in judge, judgment. So he's got all these things going on at the same time. And he's everywhere and he knows what you do. <laughs> One last little threat yeah. there, a little warning. Well, um, that that. Is that it? Is that the end of communicable attributes? Well, there's a few more listed. I don't know how deep we want to go. Okay. I thought we might discuss that right so after we... So, to be determined what comes next. He, yeah. Tune in next week to find the answer. Because we have will, freedom, perfection, blessedness, beauty, and glory. Hmm. Some of those we do need to talk about. Okay. Well, I'm done. Okay. So am I. Well, not quite. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are truly amazed by you, humbled uh, as we come into your presence, grateful for the privilege of coming into your presence, so thankful that you welcome us uh, into your presence, knowing that we're not coming in because we're good people, but because we're clothed, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So we thank you for that, and we thank you for the honor of being a part of yours. Thank you for uh, quickening our hearts and and convicting us of sin and and calling us to yourself. And thank you for uh, eternal life. Help us, Lord, to always be ready and anxious to share that great love with the lost. Uh, we pray for our friends and loved ones that we come in contact with. Help us to be bold as we share your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.